everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Amos. I'm one of the lead pastors here. And I want to remind you that Easter is two weeks away, and we're having two services. So the 10 a.m. inside is currently full, but you can join the waiting list because I know that there are a few people who, if that 1130 service works to be outside, they prefer the outside service. So join the waiting list. The outside service does not require an RSVP, but even if the weather is crummy, we'll have a second service because we want to like make sure you can come and celebrate Easter with us. So if the outside service gets canceled, then we'll just turn on that RSVP or you can join the RSVP list for 1130. So um, we've got this Sunday, next Sunday, which is Palm Sunday, and then Easter. This Sunday is a unique Sunday in the year for us. Once a year, we always take a a Sunday to remember those we have lost. Not just people we have lost this year, but people we have lost in life because grief and loss is not something you get over. It's something that you carry with you. The people who have died that you love are not people to get over, but people to remember. And so if you're watching with us online, uh, if you have a candle, it would be, I think, appropriate for you to find it now and have it ready for... The end of our service, we'll be lighting candles uh, to remember those we've lost during the worship set. Um, I have a candle here. I'll be lighting the first one so you can kind of see how it's done, I guess. We avoid, we've always avoided any fires getting out of control. But uh, especially this year, I've got several tables, more than enough candles. If you want to, if there are two people who really come to mind or even three, you can light three candles. That's not a problem. Just I ask that you give individuals space so that there's only one family at a table at a time. We've got four set up here in the front. So just running through a couple of those logistics before we start. Um, This year is especially difficult, I think, because we've all lost a lot. And I want to start by actually having a moment of silence for the people who have died globally from COVID-19. This is... uh, statistics from John Hopkins, but the, the numbers are staggering. Uh, 2,711,389 is the global estimate, 541,918 uh, here in the U.S. And in our church, one. So we'll take a moment of silence for all who have died. But we remember Ken George, who was a loved friend and father and husband and brother and uh, just wonderful person that we have lost in our church. So take a moment of silence with me now.
Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space. We trust that you are present, that you will never leave us, and that you draw close to the brokenhearted. And so as we remember our grief today, even as it is uncomfortable sometimes to feel sadness and anger, we trust that you are with us. And so as we read from your word today and as we hear your truth and the hope that is offered, we know that you know what it's like to shed tears. And so come, Holy Spirit. Amen. What is grief if not love persevering? If any of you are watching WandaVision, you know this is a quote from one of the Marvel shows that's been put up, but it's, uh, it's one of the most beautiful scenes in television, I think, as the show is about grief and as the two main characters sit, it's a moment of awkward silence. And in the same scene, there is both laughing and crying. But the thing that comes through most powerfully is that they are sitting together in their moment of remembering what has been lost. I will be reading from the words of John here in a moment, but I wanted to read just one story from a woman named Cheryl who lost her husband a few years ago. The last thing I ever said to him was, I'm falling asleep. I met Dave in the summer of 1996 when I moved to LA and a mutual friend invited us both to dinner and a movie. When the film began, I promptly fell asleep, resting my head on Dave's shoulders. Dave liked to tell people that he thought that meant I was into him, so he was misreading the signs, until later he learned that, as he put it, Cheryl would fall asleep anywhere and on anyone. Dave became my best friend in L.A., and the place began to feel like home. He introduced me to fun people, showed me back streets to avoid traffic, and made sure I had plans on weekends and holidays. He helped me become a bit cooler by introducing me to the internet and playing music I'd never heard. When I broke up with my boyfriend, Dave stepped in to comfort me even though my ex was a former Navy SEAL who slept with a loaded gun under his bed. Dave used to say that when he met me, it was love at first sight, but he had to wait a long time for me to become, quote, smart enough to ditch those losers and finally date him. Dave was always a few steps ahead of me, but I caught up eventually. Six and a half years after that movie, we nervously planned a week-long trip together, knowing it would either take our relationship in a new direction or ruin a great friendship. We married a year later. Dave was my rock. When I got upset, he stayed calm. When I was worried, he said that everything would be okay. When I wasn't sure what to do, he helped me figure it out. 
Like all married couples, we had our ups and downs. Still, Dave gave me the experience of being deeply understood, truly supported, and completely and utterly loved. I thought I'd spend the rest of my life resting my head on his shoulder. Eleven years after our wedding, we went to Mexico to celebrate our friend Phil's 50th birthday. My parents were babysitting our son and daughter in California, and Dave and I were excited to have an adults-only weekend. Friday afternoon, we were hanging out by the pool playing Settlers of Catan on our iPads. For a refreshing change, I was actually winning, but my eyes kept drifting closed. Once I realized that fatigue was going to prevent me from securing Catan victory, I admitted, I'm falling asleep. I gave in and curled up. At 3.41 p.m., someone snapped a picture of Dave holding his iPad, sitting next to his brother Rob and Phil. I'm asleep on a cushion on the floor in front of them, and Dave is smiling. When I woke up more than an hour later, Dave was no longer in that chair. I joined our friends for a swim, assuming he'd gone to the gym as he'd planned. When I went back to our room to shower and he wasn't there, I was surprised but not concerned. I got dressed for dinner, checked my email, and called out to our children, or called our children on the phone. Our son was upset because he and his friend had ignored playground rules, climbed a fence, and ripped their sneakers. Through tears, he came clean. I told him that I appreciated his honesty and that Daddy and I would discuss how much he would have to chip in for his, from his allowance for a new pair. Not wanting to live with the uncertainty, our fourth grader pushed me to decide, but I told him that this was the kind of decision that Daddy and I made together, so I'd have to get back to him the next day. I left the room and went downstairs. Dave wasn't there. I walked out to the beach and joined the rest of our group. When he wasn't there either, I felt a wave of panic. Something was wrong. I shouted to Rob and his wife, Leslie, Dave isn't here. Leslie paused and yelled back, where's the gym? I pointed towards some nearby steps and we started running. I can still feel my breath and body constricting from those words. No one will ever say, where's the gym, to me again without causing my heart to race. We found Dave on the floor. Lying by the elliptical machine, his face slightly blue and turned to the left, a small pool of blood under his head. We all screamed. I started CPR. Rob took over for me. A doctor came and took over for him. The ride in the ambulance was one of the longest 30 minutes of my life. Dave on a stretcher in the back, the doctor working over him. Me in the front seat where they made me sit, crying and pleading with the doctor to tell me that Dave was still alive. I could not believe how far the hospital was and how few cars moved out of our way. We finally arrived and they carried him behind a heavy wood door, refusing to let me through. I sat on the floor. One of my closest friends was there holding me. After what felt like forever, I was led into a small room. The doctor came in and sat behind his desk. I knew what that meant. When the doctor left, a friend of Phil's came over and kissed me on the cheek and said, I'm sorry for your loss. The words in the obligatory kiss felt like a flash forward. I knew as I was experiencing something that would happen over and over. Someone asked if I wanted to see Dave and say goodbye. I did, and I did not want to leave. I thought that if I just stayed in that room and held him, if I refused to let go, I would wake up from his nightmare. 
When his brother Rob and Shock himself said we had to go, I took a few steps out of the room, then turned around and ran back in, hugging Dave as hard as I could. Eventually, Rob lovingly pulled me off Dave's body. Marnay walked me down the long white halls, her arms around my waist, holding me up and preventing me from running back into that room. And so began the rest of my life. It was and still is a life I never would have chosen, a life I was completely unprepared for, the unimaginable. I read that uh, not because it's important to know Cheryl's story, but because it's important to remember our stories. There are some things in that story, for me at least, that uh, brought me back to places and reminded me of people. And something we say over and over here at the Vineyard is that your spiritual health will never outpace your emotional health. And so being able to process the pain you feel when you lose someone is essential to having real, dynamic, flourishing life with Jesus. And so now, reading from John 11, this is one of the famous stories from the book of John. We're going to jump into the middle. Uh, a few days earlier, Jesus had found out that his dearly beloved friend Lazarus was sick. And he comes to visit his friend, Lazarus, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, who show up in other places in the Gospels as well, because these three seemingly were all good friends of Jesus. It says in John 11, verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. You see, Jews in Jesus' day believed the same thing that Christians believe, that at the end of the world there will be a resurrection of the dead. And so she's putting faith in that future resurrection, misunderstanding Jesus. But Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never truly die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, 
A deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. What is love? What is grief, if not love, persevering? We have here Jesus meeting two women, Mary and Martha. They say almost exactly the same thing to Jesus. Did you notice that? Lord, if you would have only been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, why didn't you come and intervene? But Jesus' response to each woman is very different. Did you notice that too? Jesus responds to Martha by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. But to Mary, Jesus is overwhelmed with emotion, anger at first, but then when he is brought to the tomb, he breaks down and he weeps. And this is the Christian theology around death and all that is wrong with the world. We have strength in hope and vulnerability in grief. Both. Strength in hope and vulnerability in grief. Jesus meets Death, Jesus meets sadness with both strength and joy, ultimately, and incredible sadness. The two are mixed together. I think this is not just good like theology, not a good way to understand who God is and how he relates to the world and how we should. Uh, it's true of my experience. Have you ever been to a funeral? There are moments of tears and wailing, and as stories are shared, there are moments of laughter and celebration, remembering people who you've lost. Why does Jesus respond in these two ways to these two different people? Well, again, I want to say, first of all, that the two things go together. The response is twofold. And it would have been wrong for Jesus to go to Mary, who is herself in tears, and simply speak truth into that moment. Instead of uh, overcoming, right, or dismissing the tears, uh, he enters into them. He moves toward them. This is the response, too, of people who follow Jesus. Rather than suppressing the feelings of grief, we want to move toward people and share in that grief. Mary meets, is met by Jesus with the tears of Jesus because Mary is herself in tears. It may be as understandable that Jesus meets Martha with a statement about hope in the future because Martha comes to Jesus with a statement 
of hope with a statement of faith. Martha comes to Jesus saying, Lord, if you would have only come, you would have you know, prevented him from dying. But also, even now I believe you can do anything that you want. And so Jesus meets Martha's faith with hope and Mary's tears with his own tears. These things belong together. And so one of the things we learn about Jesus is that he is not a stoic, but neither is he a romantic. And I mean that in the like philosophical sense of the word. He's not a stoic. In other words, he doesn't live his life as if emotions aren't real. Stoics like try to suppress emotions and live as if emotions don't exist. But romantics, uh, a lot of the poetry that you would read from you know, 100 years ago would be in the romantic stream. Uh, the, uh, romantics live as if emotions are all that exist. And so emotions are always in the driver's seat. Jesus integrates the two parts of our humanity, the intellectual or the rational or the like, the faith beyond feeling, the, the faith beyond what your rational capacities might say, but also the, the depths of his like emotion. Jesus is not a stoic. Jesus is not a romantic. He is neither or he is both. He is, a, he is an integrated human being, heart and mind, faith and pain. The two go together. To say just a little bit more about the vulnerability and the grief, um, it's okay to be sad sometimes. This is actually another line from Daniel Tiger that I've been watching with Isla. It's okay to be sad sometimes, but little by little, you'll feel better again. When somebody is suffering, sometimes they will ask questions about God and why God would let these things happen and what's going on here. But one of the things I was taught in seminary is to hear behind the question because in their question, they are actually saying something and that something is, ouch. And so just as Jesus responded to the tears of Mary, as followers of Jesus, we want to respond to the ouch. I have a list, uh, Micah, of some emotions where it says, let people feel whatever it is they're feeling. Thank you. This includes yourself. And this is uh, similar to something you've probably heard about or read, the stages of grief which, by the way, isn't necessarily a helpful term for people who are grieving the loss of someone that has died. The research on the stages of grief is actually about, or, or is gathered from people who are dying, the stages that they go through. And so while there are some emotions there that are showing up on this list, uh, grief doesn't come in stages, and grief isn't something you get over. And grief isn't something that's rushed, and grief isn't a checkbox that you can check. And so if you felt angry and then feel sad, like it's not like you'll never go back and feel angry again. You don't check anger off the list. It, it recycles and it comes and it, it goes like waves uh, that swell at unexpected times some of the time. And it's, it's moments of joy that you'll find 
then overcome by moments of sadness and then a slow recovery. So just some of the things that you can expect to feel or that other people might feel, because part of what we're talking about here is loving people well who are going through grief, is shock and numbness, having exaggerated outbursts, feelings of depression and loneliness, the feeling of like no one has ever felt as bad as I feel today. Physical symptoms like headaches, guilt, I should have done this, I could have done more, I wish I would have called him one last time. Anger, resentment, and then finally a resistance of returning to normal. But Jesus models and also research says that the way to actually come through and experience healing and transformation is to accept the feelings that you have not diminish them. If you simply push them down, your feelings of grief or loss, they're going to come out typically in hurtful and harmful ways against people that you love most. And so there's a big difference between processing your emotions healthfully and stuffing your emotions for them to fester and and spew out over everybody. We're talking largely about the grief of losing someone to death today, but I think if you look at the list, you can also see how this relates to the last year that we've been going through COVID-19. We have lost a lot this year. We have lost vacations. We have lost full classrooms and full church buildings. We have lost birthday parties, and we've lost so many things that we used to call normal hugs and graduations and handshakes. And so it is to be expected that as we grieve these things, that we will feel anger and that we will feel lonely. We'll feel all sorts of things, shocked and numb and lost and resistance to when things start to slowly go back to normal. There's an invitation from Jesus to feel what you are feeling, but that is not the whole story. And this is not to be unexpected. We can expect to feel grief at a normal rate, not just because people die, but because the unexpected happens and things we hope for don't come to be. So for instance, uh, do you guys know that there's basketball happening this week? Did you guys notice that at all? So a bunch of people filled out March Madness brackets, Uh, 20 million of them, actually, not in our church, but like in the country. (laughs) We got about 20 in our church, 20 million in the country. So after day one, you want to know how many were left correct? 121, that's 0.0006% of correct brackets after one day. But now there's been two days of basketball. Do you know how many are correct? Take a guess. Five, three. Zero, not one person has predicted two days of basketball out of 20 million. And so I say this to just make the point, we don't know the future. We think we do. I was feeling really good about my bracket, personally, and uh, so was Jeremy. Oklahoma State, right? Yep. Did you pick them to win? He did. He... You go to Oklahoma State? Yeah, anyway. 
Sorry, a moment of lightness uh, around some other stuff. But here, here's the thing. Like, nobody could have seen 2020 coming. We don't know what's going to happen in 2021 or 2022 or what's going to happen in your marriage or what your kid is going to do or, or when you're going to lose a job. We actually need a rock to stand on because the future is so uncertain. And so we don't only have grief and vulnerability. We have strength and hope. In Jesus' words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never really die are what we stand on. And the the thing that we have, guys, the thing that we have as people who follow Jesus is different than what the rest of the world has. Even the other religions say, Follow this teaching and you will find God. There's a prophet who has this like revelation or this book. And uh, if you do the things or believe the things or behave in the right way, then you've got this special prize maybe at the end. It's all these journeys to find God. But with Jesus, we have a God who comes to find us. And this is what we've got in this story with Mary and Martha. Jesus doesn't come and say, uh, I've got this teaching that will help you. Jesus comes and says, I am God who is with you. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me or she who believes in me, even though he dies, yet will he live. I have come and have experienced the kind of pain that you have experienced. I know what it's like to lose a friend. I know what it's like myself to die in agony and pain on a cross, to even own that feeling. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? to cry out in his pain, to accept it, and to arise victorious. That's Easter. That's what's coming. That's the resurrection. And that's what happens in this story, too. I'm I'm sure many of you know it. Um, And this is where Jesus' anger comes back. Did you notice that? Not all the translations use that word anger for Jesus. I think it's a little bit uncomfortable uh, for many people, but... But here it is. The anger comes back in verse uh, 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. I said it so that they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. I mean, this was real. This guy was really dead. And he really came back to life. 
That's what the witnesses say. They couldn't believe it. And if this was a made-up story, Jesus doesn't weep. And Jesus, you know, and after this, people don't plot to kill him. That's what happens next. Jesus raises a guy from the dead, and that's the moment people decide, we got to kill this guy. He's dangerous to the institution that we're trying to build. Like, this guy has hope that will crumble all the sorts of plans that we've made to help keep people, like, controlled, you know. Like, this is real hope. And so as we light candles today, we don't have to grieve like the rest because we grieve with hope. So we welcome the sadness, but cling to Jesus. And so I would invite you to stand. And I'm going to light the first candle in memory of Ken. But as the worship team sings, I invite you forward to light a candle or two or three to remember people in your life that you love, that you've lost. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We thank you for your tears, Jesus. But we also thank you for your power, for your victory over death. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.